question for you this morning. Where do you go when you are in a time of need? Where do you go when you get desperate? As a kid growing up, I loved to throw a tennis ball against the wall. And my folks, uh, where I grew up uh, early on, we had a, a place with a little, brick, a little brick wall in between the garage doors and kind of a line for the perfect strike zone. And, man, just hour after hour, I would get out there. And I remember one day I was out there engaged, and uh, it was probably – Likely for you, Game 7 of the World Series, and I'm just throwing smoke, man. And just, man, it's going really well until all of a sudden I let a wild pitch and it gets loose on me. And, and it, it hits this light right above, right, like that intentional like floodlight. And man, that thing breaks, and I began to realize in that moment that things probably aren't going to go well for me. And so I, I contemplate, should I run away now, right, or do I have to call Dad? And so I look everywhere in the house thinking maybe I could at least find the light that he maybe wouldn't notice the other thing broken and... I finally pick up the phone and call him and, and, and tell him we have a brief discussion. The rest of the day, man, I'm just waiting for him to come home like, man, it's, it's not going to be good. And I'll never forget, as Dad's truck pulled in, and I'm kind of there hanging out in the yard just watching from a distance, and he looks and he sees me, and uh, he does this smile. And when he does, he, he, he holds up this other light. And um, in that moment, it was just a moment of compassion I needed as a kid. It didn't fix the fixture. I was like, I don't know how he's going to fix that. But... Um, it was just a moment in which I needed a reminder that, that my father was going to provide for me, um, that he could supply what I, what I, I couldn't, um, that he was going to show me compassion and mercy. And, and I think for the reality is, uh, in your moments in life, you, you've had things that broken too. Some of them have been relationships. Some of them maybe have been important things to you. Maybe it's your body, even now. You're, you're, you're fighting against some brokenness. Maybe if you're really transparent, you, you'd confess that it goes even deeper than that. It goes to your heart that your heart's actually broken, it's sinful. And the temptation can be in those moments, just like with me, you just try to figure out any way you might try to cover it up or run away because you're fearful that you have to face your father. But the good news is, is there's actually a compassionate father. There's a God who's gracious, who instead of running away from our hurts and our brokenness, he actually runs toward it. Expressing that fully as he comes to the cross and, and dies in your place to say, I, if you ever wondered how much does God love you, have you ever wondered, maybe this morning here, are you actually loved? If you've ever wondered after the week that you've had, maybe like this week, where you've made some really bad decisions, and you're wondering, God, do you actually love me? Be careful that you don't look in the mirror or to social media or even to others that you actually even care about. Sometimes they don't even get it right. If you want to know the true value of your life, look to the cross, beloved. That's where the love of God is most perfectly displayed to you and I. His compassion, His mercy comes to us at the cross. So today, I, again, maybe you're in the midst of being broken. I, I want to compel you that Jesus' compassion and His ability to supply should compel us to come to Him. And it's in coming to Him that you are now empowered to go to others. It's, uh, I don't know if you see it there on the screen, but the motto of Camp Crossway. And I don't know, how many of you have ever been to Camp Crossway before out in Oklahoma? Yeah, good number. Man, it's just an absolutely beautiful ministry. I, I'm going to compel you, Lord willing, that we'll be able to go back this summer. I want to compel you to think toward that end, to pray toward that end. But the motto there is, um, part of it is this statement. Come get what? Go give. Come get, go give. And I think that's what we're going to see today. As we come here, the end of Matthew 13, end of the Matthew 14, we see this moment of Jesus being rejected at the end of Matthew 13. And then Matthew 14 begins with another prophet, this time John the Baptist. And he's rejected even to the point of being killed. And then finally, we're going to see Jesus displaying this compassion 
right, that he doesn't close up shop, he doesn't quit caring and loving, even though he is rejected, even though John has been rejected, even though this is just kind of the line of what's happened all throughout the Old Testament as God's messengers have been rejected, is that Jesus continues to push forward. He remains on mission. Why? Because God loves us and he loves to satisfy his broken and weak people. If you would, turn with me. Matthew chapter 14, or Matthew 13. Let's pick up verse 53. And I think first, right, we hear this idea, come get, go give. But I want you to first see, or Matthew is going to show us, the danger of not coming and receiving. Here's the danger of not coming and receiving. And then we're going to see the beauty of coming and receiving that we might actually go give. So look first, the danger of not coming as we look to these two prophets who were rejected. Verse 53 begins, uh, again, Matthew 13 was just seven different parables of Jesus talking about the kingdom of heaven. It says, when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get these words and these mighty works? Right? They're wondering, like, that's, that's a great question. Like, what is his source of power? Where? Where does this come from? They're asking the right question. Wow, because Jesus has such wisdom. He has such mighty works. They're wondering, who is Jesus of Nazareth? Watch what happens, though. They ask the right question, but they have the wrong conclusion because they start to ask this. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary, and are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are not all his sisters with us? Where then did he get all these things? Right, immediately their thoughts are what? To discredit him. To find a reason why he can't be the Messiah. Why? Because look around, his family isn't that impressive. They're here with us. It's interesting, right? The Gospels record for us that even his own family, right? His brothers, they're not believing him. But it's interesting that two of those brothers, James and Judas, actually write books in the New Testament. Obviously the first is James. And Judas can also be known as or translated Jude. Two of Jesus' brothers go on to write books. They're his half-brothers, right? Because, again, even though he's believed to be the carpenter's son, we all know he's not the carpenter's son. He had one father, God the Father. He is fully God, fully man. And, but, I mean, I think their questions, right, they're postulating about who is Jesus, I think sometimes tempts us to maybe think similar things. Or maybe you've encountered people who begin to reject God similarly. Right? The, the Bible's outdated. You ever heard that? It's out of touch with our culture. I'm not going to church. They're hypocrites there. How could a loving God ever send anyone to hell? Nobody can know for sure if that's true. The problem still remains though, right? They're wrestling with the fact if he has heavenly origins, then how come he has this earthly family? It just doesn't make sense. Who is this Jesus and where does his power come from? And then we get this answer. And they took offense at him, verse 57 of Matthew 13. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Jesus finds himself, right? Listen to what he says. A prophet is not without honor except in his, in his hometown and in his own household. Jesus is saying, I'm in the line of all the prophets of old. Who the... Right, the prophet stood and said, as I read there earlier this morning in Ezekiel, right? Ezekiel saying, thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord. So to reject Ezekiel was ultimately to reject whom? The Lord. To reject the word of God is to reject God, to reject Jesus Christ, who Hebrews 1 says he's the exact representation of God's being, means to reject Jesus. You are rejecting God. 
They're not honoring this, this prophet who is, as they're going to come to conclusion after Matthew 14, when he walks on the water, he's not just a prophet. This is the one and only Son of God. But I think it's a reminder to us that, have you ever noticed maybe like Jesus here that sometimes it's really hard to minister to your own family? The friends you went to school with back in the day or buddies you grew up with? Is it hard that sometimes to minister into your own community? Maybe just as a poll of the audience this morning, how many of you are native Green Counties? This is where you were born and this is where you've been raised. Yeah, many of you. Guess what? Here's the reality. Here's why I want to share this. Because the danger can be is to hear these words of Jesus and think, well, if it was hard for Jesus, it'll be impossible for me to ever minister in my hometown. That's not what Jesus is teaching. He's just reminding us of the difficulty, right? So often of people seeing, indeed, especially this, a prophet, right? He's a prophet and they're not honoring him. So you might ask, well, well, Blake, it's really hard for me to minister to my family. It's hard for me to minister to this community I grew up in. I've got some things in my past, things that people remember about me. How might I minister? Maybe just practically one. Just start my prayer. Praying for God to move their hearts to be receptive. Secondly, I, I want to encourage you to go humbly. I, I, I'll just be honest with you. Some of the greatest opportunities I've ever had to share the gospel came from my biggest mistakes. Moments in which I blew it, right? Whether at the ball court, at the park, right? I had to call, I had to call an umpire again this year and just apologize, right? I think I shared that before. I don't always get it right. And so guess what? Those are moments when I don't get it right. That it's an opportunity for me to call and ask for forgiveness and then point that person to Jesus. To say, I'm not perfect. I, I, I'm sorry I did this. This is not who Christ has called me to be. I, I acknowledge my sin, but I want you to know that I'm in desperate need of a Savior. And what about you? You ever made any mistakes? So going in humility, going in prayer is so often this opportunity. But again, Jesus, he does send people to his hometown. In Mark chapter 5, there's this demon-possessed man, right? He lives in the tombs and no one can cut. He can cut himself. He's breaking chains. And Jesus, he heals this man. And he says, Jesus, I just want to follow you. I just want to follow you. Jesus says, I'm sorry. It's, it's, I don't want you to follow me. I want you to go back to your hometown and tell them all that God has done for you. See, Jesus sends people back to their own town. And the reminder is, this call to go give ultimately comes from come receive. Right? To go give to others, we must first come and receive. It is that empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But look at the danger. Don't miss this danger of rejecting Jesus. Verse 58 of Matthew 13 is sad. And he did not do many works, mighty works there because... What was the reason why? Unbelief. Some translations may render it lack of faith. That's a hard statement, right? Their hard hearts and refusing to come to Christ meant they were missing out on the healing ministry of the Holy Spirit. And even more so, they were going to miss out on the only opportunity to have their sins forgiven. But listen, guys, it wasn't only that Jesus himself was rejected. Again, if you do not come to receive, hear this danger. There was also another great prophet who was rejected. It's in John chapter or Matthew 14, and I mentioned John because hopefully I'm going to be rather brief. If you were with us on Wednesday night, Brother Todd did one of the best jobs I've ever heard of describing who John the Baptist is right there from John chapter 1. And I hope and pray that you were with us and are able to hear that. And so I want to be brief about John, but listen what it says. He also was rejected. At that time, verse 1 of Matthew 14, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. So John is clearly dead at this point, right? And we have to ask, well, why in the world is John the Baptist dead? What happened? He says, well, 
Jesus must be John resurrected. That's why these miraculous powers are at work in him. Four, Herod, right? Here's the reasoning why. Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. What's up with that? Why is he upset about his, his brother's wife? Because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death. So John spoke the truth to the mo- one of the most powerful men on the face of the earth. Specifically in John, where John lived geographically. It's going to cost John his life. There's a cost to boldness. There's a cost, beloved, to proclaiming, thus saith the Lord. It's the story of the prophets of old. It's the story of John the Baptist. And ultimately, we see it was the story of Jesus. Remember, Jesus says, remember, if they hate you, they first hated me. And though he wanted to put John to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod. So that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. And listen to what she asked for. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guest, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. Do you hear that? Jesus said, there's been no one born of a woman greater than John the Baptist. He says, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And one of God's greatest prophets, one of the greatest messengers, one who comes saying, thus prepare the way of the Lord. He is seemingly killed at the request of a dance at a party. That doesn't seem fair. How could an almighty God allow this to happen? I mean, do you not see this? It seemed like just to please some girl who danced. Yes, his credit's on the line. I get that. But isn't that amazing that God would allow such a thing like this to happen? It's the danger of the hard heart, beloved, of not rejecting this gospel when it's preached to you. It may be hard. It may not fit your lifestyle. It may contradict. But the reason why is it cuts to heal, beloved. It cuts to heal. He says his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. So maybe the question is, well, what's the takeaway from Jesus and John the Baptist being rejected? I think it's the reminder is if we don't come and get from them, we'll never truly receive. Like if if we are going to see the mighty work of God, you must come unto Christ. It was unbelief. It was a lack of faith. I mean, as the writers of the New Testament say, without faith, it is impossible to please God. There is this call to faith, to belief, to put your trust, your faith, your allegiance in Jesus Christ alone. And with, listen, beloved, if we push away Christ, we are distancing ourselves from the only possibility of ever being healed spiritually, physically, one day with a resurrected body. It is the only hope of the gospel. Now, the text is going to tell us, as it continues on here in verse 13, that Jesus hears this and he withdraws from there and but the beautiful thing is, right, that we might think, well, maybe is Jesus just done with people? I mean, if they rejected him and now John the Baptist, right, they've even had him killed, then maybe Jesus is just going to be done with everybody. And this is this beautiful moment, this moment of hope to remind all of us that those who come get can now go give. If you desire truly to be one who can give your life to others, you must hear this clearly today. You must come to Christ and receive forgiveness of sins and the power of the Holy Spirit, as Peter preached in Acts chapter 2. 
It's the only empowerment that will change and transform us. It's this hope of the gospel. And so listen to what Jesus does. Pick it in verse 13 of Matthew 14. Jesus hears about John's death and he withdraws from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Don't rush past that. Jesus is at a low place here. He withdraws. Right? I, I know we love to exalt his deity and indeed he is fully God, but yet he is also fully man. He withdraws intentionally, right, to a, a desolate place to be alone. He's longing to be alone. He's struggling with all that has happened clearly here. But the crowds continue to follow. And the question is, well, how will Jesus minister to them in a moment when maybe there would be good reason to say, I'm just too tired. I'm just done with people, right? I mean, you ever had those moments in your life where you're just tired and done? And yet Jesus reveals to us hope for our souls. Why? Because despite our rebellion, God still desires to show mercy. Isn't this beautiful? Listen to this. I just love this statement right here in verse 14. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had what? Compassion on them and healed their sick. Five times in the Gospel of Matthew, this word compassion is used. In every single one of those, it is always to people who are weak and broken and are able to heal or help themselves. It's a clear revelation of the heart of God, right? I mean, it has to say to us something that maybe we just don't often recognize. Because the temptation is, I don't know about you, when things go bad for me, I sometimes want to try to fix it on my own or figure it out. But the truth is we must see from this that God is actually drawn to weakness. In fact, it's the weakness that we so often try to hide from God or others. But in fact, this draws God in. Why? Because God in showing compassion reveals his heart. And what's his heart? God loves the weak. God loves sinners. God loves you. Don't miss that this morning. In the midst of this, because the temptation can be when things go bad for you, when you're not getting it right, the temptation can be to run away from God because you think He'll never ever love you. Beloved, He's came for you in the midst of your sin. He knows your weakness. He knows our brokenness. And yet He chose to come anyway. He loves you. Let this brokenness and this compassion, let it settle on your soul this morning. But notice what else he says here about this. Look what happens here, right? He he said it twice now. Let's draw attention to it just maybe for a moment. Or he said it twice. He's going to say it twice. Verse 13 and verse 15. He says that Jesus went away there to a desolate place. Now listen to verse 15. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a what? A desolate place. And the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. The crowd is, is astronomical at this point. The text is going to record as it comes to an end of verse 21 that there's 5,000 men. That does not account for how many women and children. Estimates are anywhere from ten to 20,000. No one knows for sure. It is a large crowd. But again, notice the statement there twice. It is a desolate place. It may be lost upon us, but again, Matthew writes to a Jewish audience. It's not lost upon them. The word desolate indicates this wilderness. 
And the Jewish people know all about the wilderness, right? It was in the wilderness as they came out of God, delivered them out of Egypt, and He, and he parts the Red Sea, and they come through, and they're there on the other side, and, the, and the, they're supposed to go, and, and they send the spies in to, to find out about the promised land, and yet they're unfaithful. And so they spend this 40 years in the wilderness, and they're wondering, do they have food there? And they cry out to God, and God sends this bread from heaven, this, this manna He sends down. And guess where He sends it? In a desolate place. A place that is desolate, right? And maybe you find yourself today in a desolate place. Maybe it's a previous divorce that has you feeling like you're invaluable or unloved. Maybe it's, in fact, it's a physical weakness for you like it was for so many of these people. And you just feel like maybe your life no longer has the value it once did because you can't physically do what you once did. Maybe today that you just feel like you're in a desolate place because the coronavirus or quarantine or whatever, it just has you feeling so isolated and alone. And the temptation, I think, listen, for all of us in our desolate places is to do what the disciples recommend. Listen to what it says. This is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Their, their heart is right. They, they want the people to be provided for, right? They just don't understand what Jesus is about to do. But I do think their statement says something to all of us about our desolate places. Our temptation in the desolate places is to try to get out of there as quick as we can. We find, we, 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 in the moments of, I don't know about you, but in the moments of desolate times in my life, hard times when, when things aren't right or broken or things aren't going the way I want, all I can think about is how do I get out of here and get back to normal? And I think, beloved, what we may miss in that is is that it's often God leads us into the desolate places because that's the very place He's appointed for us to come and receive. I, I don't know about you, but oftentimes it's been the most desolate times of my life when God humbled me the most. He had my attention the most. I don't know about you, but maybe if you're honest here, maybe things in your life are going pretty well. It may be likely that your prayer life doesn't appear like it once did in the midst of a hard season. I mean, you go through a hard season where you're struggling or somebody you really love and care about. There's some unknowns with health or relationships or finances or whatever's going to take place. And there'll be an urgency to your prayers. There'll be a nearness to God. Like you just, I mean, you're just walking with God on your job site. You're just riding down the road. You just feel like you're constant in communion with the Lord because you're in a desolate place. And again, beloved, I want to compel you. Don't miss the desolate places that God allows you to be in because it is often there that God does His greatest work. It's often in desolate places when we desire to get away, to get out of there, that God often desires to do something great and mighty in our lives. How does Jesus bring hope to desolate places? Look what Jesus says to them. It's a shocking statement, verse 16. But Jesus said, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. The call from the master is to go give. But guess what? In calling us to go give, we begin to realize, just like the disciples, our weakness. Look what they say in verse 17. They said to him, we only have how many loaves? Five. And how many fish? Two. We only have five loaves and two fish. When Jesus calls them to go give, they go say, Jesus, we don't have that to give. You're asking us to do something we can't do. So the question is, to you and to I and to this church and to all the body of Christ, what do we do when God calls us to go give something we don't have to give? And the answer is coming right here in verse 18. Do not miss it. Listen to the statement. It's powerful. And Jesus said, 
bring them here to what? Church, just rest for a moment. The answer to reaching this community, to reaching your family, to reaching your lost friends, to ministering well, is not our power or strength. In fact, when we often see the great need that is before us and we look to ourselves, we think, God, we've got five loaves and two fish. How far will that go amongst so many? How could we ever minister? How could we ever reach them? Don't miss verse 18 of Matthew 14. Jesus said to them, bring them here to me. It's the answer. It's the answer if we are ever truly going to go give. It's the answer if you're ever going to be able to give to your family. It's the answer if this church will ever truly reach this community. And as we look toward the nations, the answer is always Jesus. He is the strength. That's the strength of the disciples here. Guess what? Even after they're filled with the Holy Spirit, guess what? Jesus still remains their strength. In Acts chapter 3, there's this man that's been lame all of his life and this brother is finally, by the power of Christ, he's healed, right? And people are all clamoring around in Acts chapter 3, and they're wondering. And Peter says, he says, guys, why do you look at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man well? I want you to know it is by the name of Jesus of Nazareth and by faith in his name that this man stands before you well. Peter says, guys, we learn. We learn with the 5,000. That what God was calling us to do, we could never, ever do in our own strength. We didn't have enough knowledge, enough wisdom, enough resources, enough power, enough strength, enough endurance, enough time. But listen, beloved, what we can't do, God can. And Jesus Christ alone is the strength of the church. Jesus Christ alone is the strength of the disciples here in Matthew 14. Jesus Christ is the strength of the apostles there in Acts chapter 3, even after being filled with the Holy Spirit. It is always Christ. It is Christ who will give us the strength and the power. So, beloved, know this. We can only go give after we have first came and received. Make it clear. We will only be able to go give. You will only be able to go give after you have first came and received. Because what they need, you don't possess it. I don't possess it. But Jesus does. Bring them here to me, he says. What a statement by our master. Notice again, it says, well, they bring them to him. And so he orders the crowd, verse 19 of Matthew 14, to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them the crowds. Notice here, right, Jesus knows what he does. He takes the loaves from them, and it says in the two fish, he looks up to heaven, right, which was a traditional way for them to pray. Often they would open their eyes, look to heaven, right? Sometimes even you hear Paul instructing men to lift up holy hands in prayer. It was a posture of prayer. Right, I know typically we pray with our eyes closed. I, I'm not sure necessarily how that originated. There's some thoughts maybe that it originated in a way to, because people were so distracted when they prayed and so to bow their head and close their eyes was, was a, a sign of humility, yes, but it was also a way to keep being, from being distracted by others possibly. But again, Jesus here looks up to heaven and says a blessing. What's important is Matthew does not record to us what he says. Why? Because there's no magic formula. I think so often people are looking for some magic formula or some, some magic potion. If I'll just say this, if I'll just do this, then this person will be healed. Then this thing will get fixed. That's not the answer, beloved. What is, why can we come and receive and why can we now go give? Because the answer is what Jesus does. He looks to the Father. 
The empowerment of this church to minister and to share the gospel, the strength for you to share the gospel on your job site is to look to the Father just as Christ did. One of the things that I shared, I guess maybe the second story about my pops this morning, but one of the things I, I miss about my dad is when our family would go out to eat and you would have that moment, sometimes at the beginning, but usually at the end of the meal, right? That waiter comes to the table and asks that, that, that strategic question. Is this one check or separate? And if you kiddos are anything like me, right, you, you have that moment, you're like, woo, look at the time. Everybody's head goes down, right? It usually happens. Or everybody's head gets whiplash looking right toward who? Dad. And that moment is a reminder, right, that there's somebody at the other end who loves you and who has the means to provide. Beloved, when, when the world comes and asks you, where do you look? Do you look within at your own strength or do you look up to the Father? Jesus looks up to the Father. And the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, yes, does. What an absolutely amazing thing that only God can do. Look what it says here. And they all ate and were satisfied. Consider this scene for a moment. These people haven't done anything to draw out Jesus' compassion. The only reason they receive it is because he saw their weakness and had compassion. Isn't that amazing? They didn't give him anything. They didn't perform for him. I mean, consider for a moment. What do they do? They're just with him and listening. It's likely that amongst that crowd there was Jews and even Gentiles. But that didn't matter. Amongst that crowd there was probably young and there were old. But that didn't matter. Amongst that crowd there were probably a few rich but many poor. But that didn't matter. The only thing that mattered was they were in the presence of Jesus. So when do you get in the presence of Jesus? I hope and pray that you are intentional to gather with this church body Sunday morning by Sunday morning. That you can be in the presence of Jesus through the word of God being preached and proclaimed. It's God's, it's his design of how to build the church, how to make disciples. Right, there's intentionality that comes out of this, but this is God's plan A. It is the preaching and teaching of the word of God. It is the singing Right, as we lift up voices and worship Him and praise Him. But beloved, if you're only doing it Sunday morning, you're missing. The presence of Jesus is not just to be had in this moment. It is also you as you draw alone with the Word of God daily. Do you have an intentional time, a daily time set aside where you and the Word of the Lord get alone and you listen to God? Beloved, no, we don't have anything to offer. We can't bargain with God. What do we have to give God? He has everything already. Beloved, we come into His presence just to be fed, just to be filled, to be loved, to be cared for, to be strengthened, to be convicted, to repent, to confess, to cry out. Beloved, do you have that? Might this also say to us as Jesus' followers, how do we exercise our power and authority? By showing compassion to others. By caring for others in need. Listen, the opportunity this church has to love on this community, whether it was at Halloween there at the park and passing out hot dogs or through weekly meal delivery throughout COVID or, or maybe it's the upcoming Thanksgiving meal delivery. It's not about displaying our own power and authority. It is about us telling others. The reason why I'm coming to give it's because I first came and received. And what I really want to give you is much more than this food, much more than this moment. I want you to know that you too can come and receive. 
See, as Jesus' followers, we are overwhelmed daily, continually by his compassion. And we compel others as we go give. We want them to know that we first came and received. And therefore, we are inviting them to, to come and receive. Isn't it a beautiful statement? And they all ate and were satisfied. All? Right again, we know the indication is 5,000 men, right? That, does, that doesn't even include So that's not even besides women and children. So again, estimations anywhere from ten to 20,000. But the people of that day, guys, listen, they didn't have an abundance of food. In fact, many of them went to bed hungry. And in fact, do you know that many, especially orphans, go to bed hungry each night? We've asked it before, but I think you least need to wrestle with the question, God, why do we have these extra beds in our house when there's so many children sleeping without one tonight? God, why is our pantry so full and our, our fridge so full when there are little bellies all throughout this world tonight that will go to bed hungry? I don't know what God may be challenging you to do, but I, I, listen, I want to challenge you with this. Would you just pray this prayer? God, what do you want me to do to support orphans? And for some of you right now, when you hear it, man, there's a fire igniting. And listen, I don't know what it may be. Maybe it's just to pray. Maybe it's to, to foster, right, um, like through child, child support, right? So uh, like through Compassion International, Hold International, so you adopt a child that way and you, you send finances each month. Maybe it's to support another family in this church who feels called to adopt or somebody in this community. Maybe it's you yourself that God's saying it's time to you to foster. It's time for you to foster with the intention of adopting or adopting. I don't know, but would you just be willing to pray that prayer? God, what do you want me to do? What do you want our family to do to support orphans? Listen, guys, the beauty is, man, that this meal right here, they all ate and were satisfied, looks to a greater meal that is to come. It's in Revelation 19 defined as the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it's this place in which all the redeemed throughout all the ages, from Old Testament, right, through the New Testament, Genesis to Revelation, all who have ultimately looked unto God, ultimately to Christ, who have been forgiven and received the forgiveness of sins. Listen, it says they ate and were satisfied. It's a reminder of the fullness of life that is coming. A table that will never run dry. Right? There'll be no orphans there. There'll be no sleepless nights there. There'll be no more worry there. You'll have no more physical issues there. You'll have no more brokenness in your family there. There'll be no more issues or worries about a pandemic. There'll be no more issues politically or racially or economically. Everything will be perfect there. We will eat and be satisfied. Hallelujah, church! That's where if you're in Christ, that's where you're headed. What hope today. The world needs this hope. A place of peace and joy and eternal happiness, being eternally satisfied in God and worshiping Him for all eternity. But listen, it's good to be reminded if God's going to indeed call you to go give after you've came and received, that the call is great. And before you look internally or begin to worry now, even maybe as the Spirit's prompted you throughout this message of what God's calling you to do, I want to close by reminding you of the faithfulness of God there in verse 20. And they took up, notice what he says, 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Now, I don't know if Matthew's wanting us just to realize that we should eat our leftovers, right? I, I do know the Bible compels us to be good stewards, to take and appreciate the resources God's given us, but something greater is happening here. This is a, 
This is a group of men who Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And they looked internally and said, there's absolutely no way. we got five loaves, two fish, 5,000 men. That doesn't count all the women and children. It's impossible. And Jesus says, guess what? If you will come to me, I will do the impossible. Yes, you may not have resources. Yes, you may not have the strength. Yes, there may be people more gifted than you. Yes, there may be people that have better opportunities than you. But I want you to know God has put you strategically right where you are. And if you will look unto Jesus, God through you will do the impossible. Jesus says, bring to me what you have and I can take from your nothing and still have leftovers. To the unbeliever today, you'll never be able to pay Jesus for what he's done. And yet he invites you still to come. To those who, even though maybe once have rejected him, Jesus still comes. To those who, Jesus says, I'll give give to you without expecting to be repaid. Guys, you can't earn your salvation today. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. Might you ask, God, why have you brought me into such a desolate place? God, why am I at this season of life? God, why am I here? Might it be that in your desolate place, Jesus wants to come and bring you what you could never find otherwise? Yes, church, so many are running to the other villages to try to find, but that will only temporarily satisfy. There is only one that can satisfy their need. There's only one that can satisfy your need. His name is Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the only one. Today, stop going to the other villages to look. Believer, may you hear, as the disciples said, the hour is late and these people are hungry. Is it that true for your life? Time is ticking. None of us know. Are you ready? Today, is God calling you to receive the forgiveness of sins? Would you come unto Christ? To the believer here today, there's the image known of what's called the starving baker. I don't know if you've seen the imagery before, but I saw it back in like 2005. It just always stuck with me. It's this image of this young man standing with this massive tray of bread. And yet while he himself appears to be starving, the imagery reminds us that we can go, 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 give, go, give, go, give, go, give, go, give, go, give. But if we never come and receive, then what do we really have to give? The danger can be in hearing this text today to think, I need to get out there and serve more. I need to get out there and do more. I want to caution you as you think that way. I want you just to slow down for a moment. Why? Because I think what we need more than our serving, what we need more than our zealous going, is to first come and receive. And that just doesn't happen at the moment of salvation. Believer, that is who we are continually. We are people who continually, day by day, Sunday by Sunday, keep coming and receiving. And what you and I will find in those moments is when you come and receive, he'll now empower and fill you to go give. To the church today, are there some starving bakers among us? You've been giving, 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 but you've not been receiving, receiving, receiving. Maybe today you would just hear and see the compassion of Jesus inviting you to come and receive. And when you do, he will empower you in the power of his spirit to go give. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for Christ. All glory be to his name. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. 
Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.